Okay, this morning is a special morning for us. Uh, we're actually going to take a break in our, in our Jesus Is series. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of John, and we've been desiring to see Jesus more clearly, um, because that informs who we are as people. Today, we're going to pause going through the Gospel of John, and we're going to have uh, just a special morning for us. Herrick Berg is going to share. Uh, yes, yes. So Herrick is going to share, and I, I want to tell you, I want to read something out of Revelation to you really quickly that'll help kind of set up our time this morning, okay? In Revelation chapter 12, Revelation was actually written by the Apostle John, just like the Gospel of John was. This is written at the very end of his life, and Revelation is this epic capstone to the Bible story. Uh, that is God's redemptive work in all things, Okay? We've all experienced the brokenness of sin and the pain and the suffering involved with that. And it's, it's hard for me sometimes. I'll see the injustice in the world and I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. Why? But it always brings me comfort to know that God didn't just sit back and just kind of like cross his arms and watch things unfold. God did something about it. He did something about the brokenness, the ripple effects of sin. He sent his son into the world to die for sin so that he could redeem all things. God is in the process, friends, of filtering out evil into the, into the creation. Like he's, he's literally redeeming all things back to himself. Heaven is coming to earth. We don't like go up to heaven with harps in the clouds. It's not a biblical thing. Heaven comes to earth to redeem all things. God is doing something about it. Revelation kind of is the capstone on that story. It's beautiful, but I want to read something to you quickly. Revelation 12, starting in verse 10, John says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, that's Jesus, the savior, have come. For the accuser, that's, that's Satan, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. It's this picture of like Satan literally accusing you and you and me of the guilt within us to God, right? So he says, who accuses them as us day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. Listen to this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. John is describing two sources of power here to defeat evil and to defeat sin and to defeat Satan. The blood of the lamb of Jesus that atones for our sins and reconciles us back to God. And he also says one more thing. And the word of their testimony. He's saying that there's a tremendous amount of power to fight back against the lies of the enemy with our testimony. Your testimony is, is, is the Christian story of how God himself in Jesus has intervened in your life. Every Christian has one. Every Christian is the, is the world's leading expert on their story of how God has intervened in their life. And not just circumstantially like, I prayed for a house and I got a house. Or I prayed to get into this college and I got into this college. All that stuff's cool. God cares about that stuff. But more importantly, he cares about the etern- your eternal soul. He cares about your deepest joy being satisfied in him, a relationship for eternity with him. You being satisfied forever, he being worshiped forever. It's this beautiful picture of love, okay? There is so much power in the Christian testimony. So much power. And this morning, Herrick's gonna boldly tell you his story. 
It's great. God has been really gracious to us and blessing us with this couple, with Herrick and Heather. They've been sent to us. Um, those of you guys that haven't met Eric, Herrick, he is, he's one of the pastors on staff with me. He's a wonderful, trustworthy, amazing, dare I say beautiful man. Like, it, honestly, he's a wonderful human being. I, I love him and value him so much. The more you get to know him, I'm so confident you're going to feel the exact same way. The spirit is strong in this one. <laughs> So would you give Herrick a round of applause as he comes up here? He's going to share his story. Love you, dude. Love you, too. Can I pray for you really quick? I'll make it fast. Yeah. Okay, let me pray for Herrick. Will you guys join me? Father, we just say thank you. We say thank you for Herrick, the gift that he is to us. Um, and I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would cause each of us, as, as, as Herrick is going to dive into his testimony, into his story of you intervening in our lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause each of us to see parallels in our own story? Would you make us keenly aware, God, of the story, the unfolding story that you have written for our lives? Would you let us not kind of like be forgetful, but would you bring things to mind? Would you help us see things clearly? And more than anything, God, I pray, Spirit, you would fill fill Herrick up to minister to us, to love us, to serve us, so that we can enjoy you, obey you, and operate like you more, Jesus. So grateful for the gifts that you give us. Herrick and Heather and their kids are definitely gifts to us. So we praise you, thank you, be with us, Lord Jesus. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Love you. Thanks, Tom. Love you. Good morning, Temecula. Restore Temecula. So happy to be here uh, this morning. Like Tom said, I'm going to have an opportunity to share my story with you. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about my childhood at home. Uh, over the last week, for whatever reason, I just can't get the thought of my uh, childhood home in Puerto Rico out of my mind. And uh, this morning, uh, during, I think, the second song of, of worship, I just got like a picture of my, my home. Uh, I took Heather by it uh, when I went back to Puerto Rico. I'm from there, so I live out here now. But uh, we went and visited, and I took her there, and it's like a two-story house on this hill. And um, it's, a, it's a place where I remember... They're just being f- family and fun and friends. Uh, I remember my childhood home walking in. You just smelled potatoes and plantains. <laughs> you just heard like the sound of dominoes clicking together as my grandparents are playing dominoes. And the little sound of my tias arguing like, nah, 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 you know, like that, that um, is what I have in my heart when I think about my family, my home. And I love my home. I love my people. And I got a picture during, during worship here, uh, like just, like, just like in my mind's eye, I almost like saw Jesus with almost like a paint roller, just putting blood on the doorposts of my childhood home. And if you're not familiar with what that imagery is, that's the imagery of the Passover in Exodus in the Old Testament. And uh, the people of God were passed over because of the blood of the Lamb. They had, to, they had to sacrifice a lamb, and, and the angel of death passed over them. And I think Jesus was reminding me of the fact that when I tell you guys my story today, this is a story of, of redemption, of God rescuing a sinful, broken man, entering into my household, breaking in. And I think he wants to do that for some of you today, too. And I just had a sense that like, there's some of you who he's going to put the, the blood, his blood on your household or on your heart this morning. So I'd encourage you to stick with me, because I think he's going to do stuff today. Um, so I'm excited to share. Real quick, uh, as Tom said, scripture, uh, it gives us a sense that people's stories matter. 
So uh, I was thinking about it this week, and the Apostle Paul tells his story three times in the book of Acts. Uh, He tells it again and again and again. He's not afraid to tell his story. He just tells it to everyone who will listen and who will hear. And I think there's something important about us telling our stories. They bring... They, they bring the grace of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God, and they, they, our stories give flesh to that. We get to see it, we get to taste it, we get to touch the goodness and the grace of God. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, and Paul means as the foremost sinner, if you don't know his story, he was a guy who killed Christians, who persecuted them, or he signed off on their, their executions, He persecuted them, he hunted them down, and then he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And so he says, as me, with me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ displays his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So it's almost like you can hear Paul saying, in my story, what Jesus did for me, he can do for you too. And so I say that, I set that all up this morning because uh, some of you are here this morning and you have burdens, you have disappointments, you have regrets in your life. Other things have not gone the way you wanted them to. And I just want you to know that as you hear my story, God may touch you through it, just like he used the Apostle Paul's life to put, put forward like an example of his patience. And when you hear my story, you're going to hear an example of God's patience and, of, and his redeeming love. So stick with me. So I'm going to share my story this morning of how Jesus has touched and transformed my life with you. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for... Uh, This morning, and thank you for the opportunity to share my story with this beautiful church, God, your bride, whom you purchased with your own blood. I pray that men and women this morning would be able to hear your voice through the story, that they would find encouragement, that they would see your perfect patience as I share with them what you've done for me. God, we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So, uh, obviously, I was born in Puerto Rico, like I shared earlier. Uh, It's a beautiful island, if you've never been there before. It is an amazing culture. It's the best food in the world, I think, in my opinion. Uh, and I had, a, I had a really good upbringing. I had, there were people and parties, friends and family. Um, I really have nothing to complain about with my upbringing. My parents, I knew that they loved me. They were strict, uh, but, I, but they were affectionate. I knew that they loved me. Uh, they took us to church. Uh, they put us in religious school. They tried to give us the best uh, foundation that they could for uh, my life. I basically had everything. Uh, but as I reflected on my life this week, I realized like I had everything that a kid could ask for, and there was still something missing. I still had this insatiable desire to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, understood, valued, and cherished. And I was like deathly afraid of rejection. And one day we moved to Orange County, California, which is about as gnarly culture shock as you could ever possibly experience going from Puerto Rico to Orange County. If you've ever been in Orange County or lived, I know there's some people from Orange County in here uh, that live there, you know. I think the biggest shock to me was when we went to the beach in Orange County and the water. I was like, what is this? This is, this isn't a beach, bro. So I moved to Orange County, and that insatiable desire to be seen and loved and heard only grew bigger, stronger, because I didn't have, like, the community that I was used to, my family in Puerto Rico. And so when I moved to Orange County, I gave myself to performing. I gave myself to school and sports. That was my thing. 
And initially, I was pretty good at both. I actually stood out. I was recognized, and things were going well. I didn't. I made the honor roll, and uh, I picked up sports award. I'd never even seen a football, and I started playing football, and I got a, a most improved award, which um, is still somewhere in my parents' house. I'm holding on to that one. So I was, a, I was a scholar athlete. That's how I viewed myself until I wasn't. I still hate algebra for that reason. Algebra broke my heart, and 80-mile-an-hour fastballs broke my spirit. I started picking up these in school, and I got cut from my baseball team. Now, for you, that might be like, oh, no big deal. Like, you got cut from your baseball team. But as someone who put so much of my, my view of myself in my performance, when somebody said, no, I don't want you, we don't need you, we're better off without you, my world like, came crumbling down. I felt so ashamed and like unwanted. I needed my family to be there for me. My dad, my love, he's been, he's been a good dad. Like He was there with me, and he took it very personally, and he just started getting angry with the coach. And all I needed was him to say, I'm sorry, son. And instead, like anger, pointing fingers. And I just felt so alone in this whole thing. So... For the rest of high school, since I wasn't doing so good with the, the sports or the school part of things, I just kind of mailed it in. I, I found some, some ways to escape from, from life. Video games, the gym, I still have stretch marks. If I go like this, you could see them. Uh, from, I just did way too, I was on the bench too much. I just wanted a plate. I just wanted to, never mind. I hung with friends. I had good friends. I hung with them. Kind of escaped to gym, video games, friends. Uh, when I was 15, it took a bit of a darker turn. I started looking at pornography. And it was all an escape. These are things that made me feel strong, significant, wanted, even if it was just a fantasy. I'd rather have that fantasy than live in like, the real pain of feeling insignificant, worthless in life. So obviously, I was apathetic. My parents did not raise me to be apathetic. They, they raised me to try hard to do good. That was part of the reason why they put me in the church, is to give me, to help me do better with life. Give me morals. So, but I was apathetic. And so my parents, who had instilled this, this work ethic in me, they were mad. And so it led to tension in our home. More toxicity than I had anticipated growing up, because I had like such an ideal kind of situation growing up. But I wasn't apathetic because... I just didn't want to work hard. I was apathetic because I had no sense of meaning or purpose in life. I was in church weekly, but I just could not see how Jesus connected to the longings of my heart, to the search for meaning, to the quest for like worth. Looking back, it's kind of a tragedy, honestly, that I was in church every week and I could never connect what Jesus was doing to my life, to my heart. I was adrift kind of at sea without a compass heading. So my parents and I, we kind of banked on college being like a fresh start. When I turned 18, it was like, all right, like, maybe this will help me find my way. Maybe I'll find something more satisfying or fulfilling in school. So when I was 18, I moved to San Diego, to the University of San Diego, and I became a Torero. Ole. So I got a fresh start, and I was pumped. I made a good group of friends. We had fun. 
The friends and the fun was kind of always there. It was the emptiness that was the problem. Uh, then I met a girl and we started dating. This was like the, the missing piece, a girl. Um, but like me, she, you know, she grew up in the church. Um, unlike me, though, she was able to see that our relationship wasn't really about Jesus. And she had a desire for that way more than I did. Me, not so much. And there were some guys on my floor uh, around the same time, this was freshman year, who started a Bible study. And they invited me in. And I don't know like, how much of it was like, genuine interest, how much of it was just like, oh, you know, this girl that I was seeing was interested in this, so maybe I'll go do that. But as I started to get to know these guys, I realized something that I had, I realized that the way that they expressed their faith in Jesus was something I'd never heard before. They talked about Jesus like he was a real person who really wanted to be present in my life and who wanted to work in my life to do something far bigger than I can ever dare dream or imagine. And I'll be honest, when I heard them talking like that, I'd never heard conviction like that. I'd never heard purpose put that way before. And I knew that they meant it. I knew that they were serious because they were literally starting this Bible study. They were exposing themselves to public shame in a floor that they had to live on with guy, you know, immature 18-year-old kids who could blow up in their face or whatever. They did it. Their love for Jesus was real, and I had never seen it, but I was intrigued. And so as they spent time with me, they realized, like, there's a spark here. God might be up to something in, in Herrick's life. Something like resembling a desire for Jesus is starting to, to, to form here. And so they also had the good sense to, to realize, like, this little flicker, it's going to get blown out by the relationship that I was in. I had an, a very unstable foundation of my budding faith, and then the girl I was with had a very unstable, weak foundation herself. And so we just couldn't, we could not help each other go deeper into the things of Jesus. And they, these guys, they, they warned us, it's going to go badly for you. They were very bold. Uh, it's hard to do that. It's hard to look someone in the eye and say, like, this relationship's going to go badly, we think. It takes a lot of love to do that. But we didn't listen. So we avoided those friends. We went to a different church, a church of thousands, where nobody knew us. We didn't go out of our way to be known either. We disappeared into the crowd and we paid the price. No one saw us. No one asked us questions about our lives and our relationships. And our relationship. We had no one to encourage us, no one to challenge us, and no godly relationships on which to imitate our relationship. So obviously, we were weak. I don't think I was a Christian at this point. I think there was something starting, but I don't think I was a Christian. And temptation was real, so we gave in to sexual sin. We were not pure. And we were kind of alone and isolated. And after a year and a half, it was over. And it ended up causing a lot more hurt and sorrow. And I ended up farther away from Jesus than if I had just listened to the guys in the first place. Because they warned me about this. I didn't go back to church after we broke up. I ended up going abroad to Spain, which is a, uh, it's, it's its own uh, interesting culture. Um, and uh, I loved Spain, but it, it was a place where it was, it's very easy to get lost. Um, there isn't like a strong uh, presence at this point in terms of the church, or at that point, 
um, it was hard to find a church. And there was still like a little flicker in there where I actually went. We went looking for a church in Spain. I couldn't find one. But I got back from Spain. I had the, the gnarliest reverse, uh, reverse culture shock, I guess, coming back from Spain to San Diego. I realized like San Diego is a bubble. USD is a bubble. Uh, girls don't wear their PJs to class in the rest of the world. <laughs> It's just a weird thing. I came back and I was like, just so confused. It was like the, the juicy or whatever. You remember that? It was like 10, this was a while back. I'm dating myself. So, so anyway, fast forward, I get back from Spain and I meet a different girl and we start dating and it goes fast. She was also raised in the church. And I remember hearing that and thinking like, yes, like maybe she'll help me draw closer to Jesus. But I hadn't learned my lesson. I hadn't learned my lesson. I wasn't following Jesus. Throw in two people with a mix of emotions and desire, none of which are very strong for Jesus. And what do you think is going to happen? Are they going to end up following Jesus together? Probably not. And so in our case, it was very much the same thing, only worse, more intense than the, the first relationship. We went farther sexually. We, it was just worse. And I re- reconnected with my Christian buddies when I got back from Spain they invited me to a Bible study, and I went. I went to this Bible study, and they were talking about a few things, including Jesus knows you, he has a purpose for your life, and he's calling you to follow him. Same passion, same conviction, same love these guys had before. They still had it, it only grown. And here I am, stuck, stagnant, and these guys are growing and experiencing Jesus, and they have a joy that I want. They know they're loved by God. They know they're safe in his arms. They know they have a purpose. All the things I'm longing for and looking for. And once again, once again, almost exact repeat of before, the relationship. Relationship's in the way. But this time was a little bit different. It was almost the same. The difference was that I felt this time a much deeper inner conviction that Jesus was actually calling me to himself. I was the one who was actually trying to convince my girlfriend at the time, Jesus is calling us, like, let's follow him. Let's be pure, which we're not. The roles had kind of flipped from the first relationship. The bad news is the outcome was just about the same. Like I had done before, like I had done before, she fought on trusting and obeying Jesus, which is what I had done in in the first relationship that I was in. And here's the thing. I don't know why this came to mind, came back to my memory this week. She took exception with the theology of the guys who were pursuing me and who were inviting me into the church. She took exception to the fact that they believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation today, and she did not. And so she dismissed them like that. And for whatever reason, so she's kind of like, you know, charismatics, people that believe the gifts of the Spirit were not to be trusted. For whatever reason, I just want to put this out there um, as like a, just a loving warning. Be careful how you hold your theology, friends, on non-essential matters. It might keep you from hearing the voice of God through someone else. You might be prone to dismiss them because they don't agree with you on non-essential matters. Be careful. And I'm preaching to myself right now. Side note, I need this. So she was in a similar spot as I'd been to before. She was dismissing the voice of God, calling her to follow him. And so we're, our future is now tethered together 
Are we going to follow him or not? She was interested in Jesus like I was, but she was unwilling to pay the price to follow him. So one night, I went to a church meeting on campus by myself. I was touched by the message in a way that I'd never been touched before. It went deeper this time. I knew, he was, I knew Jesus was real. I knew that he loved me. And I knew that he was calling me out of, this, out of darkness into light. I didn't have like the words to say that then, but I know that that's what he was doing now. I felt floored, thrilled. I was like, yes. I went back to the dorm, and I started talking to my best friend Ryan about God. I had never done that before in my entire life. Then I went to my girlfriend's place, and I said, that's it. We need to give ourselves to Jesus. Let's follow him together. Let's leave this empty life behind. Let's go after him. He's good, and he's calling us. And she pauses. She looks at me, and she says, no. Where you go, where you want to go, I will not go. You have to choose. And Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23 to 25, he says this. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I heard the words of Jesus that day in that situation spoken to me. I would have to deny myself, leave the girl, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus. Which for me at that point would have felt like losing my life. Again, I had that sense of value and worth from her. Um, I felt like I mattered. I felt like I was wanted. But she was keeping me from Jesus. This relationship was keeping me from Jesus. The relationship was my functional center at the time. My, the thing I was building my life on. How do I give that up? So I made a choice. I said no to one voice, and I said yes to another voice. I chose the girl. I wish I could tell you. And then I ran out and I embraced Jesus. Nope. Too much of a coward for that. I chose the girl. My life took a radical turn from there. We slept together that night, and I started having sleep paralysis, where I felt like someone was suffocating me in my sleep. Whether, it's a, whether that was a psychological thing or a spiritual thing, it doesn't matter. The point is, I knew I'd betrayed my Lord, and I knew that the light in my life was fading into darkness. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt afraid. And I did not know how to get out of it. And so I started, I went back to the default, pretending. I started avoiding people. Started, especially... I would, I would avoid my Christian friends whenever possible. I'd pretend everything was fine, and then I'd get out of there as quickly as possible. If I ran into somebody at the library, I would hide. I remember hiding once in the book stacks. It's like, oh, Chris is here. Like, I just couldn't face the reality. They were probably really confused initially, but I think eventually they got the point. I, started, I stopped coming around. I'm like, okay. So they put two and two together. So I enjoyed my life of sin. Don't get me wrong. The reason we choose sin is because it's enjoyable. Sin is fun. That's why we do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. But it was empty and hollow. It really was. It was empty and hollow. That, that initial sense of like, yes, someone loves me, someone cares for me, someone values me. It's the thing I sacrifice for the most. All that excitement wore off after about nine months. And within a year, that relationship entered into this cycle of break up, get back together, break up, get back together, break up, get back together. 
that lasted nine long, painful, awful months. I could not bring myself to walk away from this relationship. I had no functional center, no core for my life, no sense of value, worth, purpose beyond what she could give me. I was absolutely in darkness. One day, I was playing softball on Sundays, and I remember once um, I was playing softball in Point Loma, and I drove home on a Sunday, and I was really sad about life. Things were not going the way I wanted them to. I hated my job. This girl, I couldn't, I couldn't stop uh, pursuing, just could not commit to me. And I'd wonder, like, where was my life going? And so I was driving home from a softball game, and I drove by a church that I had visited many years before. I just drove past it, and I saw it. And I remember thinking, I wonder if Jesus would still want me. No, I've done too much. And I kept driving. And I tried to dismiss the thought. I was like, there's no way Jesus would want me. I'm too much of a rebel, too much of a coward. I'm too far gone. I tried to dismiss the thought, but I couldn't. It just kept gaining traction more and more and more. So I actually went to the church. I actually went back to the church. And I asked my on and off off again girlfriend to come. And she resisted at first, but then she kind of cautiously came. She didn't like it for some reason or other. It doesn't matter. But I I was hooked. I was hearing about Jesus again. And there's something, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I kind of felt like on the one hand terrified by Jesus and the claims that he made on my life, that he demanded everything, that he was king, that he was Lord, that he was God. But on the other hand, I felt like, where else am I going to go? He's king, he's Lord, he's God. So I was captivated and I was feeling also crushed by the weight of my own sin. It's a weird time, really weird time in my life. I really felt inwardly like I deserved death and wrath. I was like, yep, that's me. That's what I deserve. I've abandoned Jesus to pursue a girl. I'm a rebel. That's who I am. So that was going on. And at the same time, I couldn't help but seek out stories, testimonies of people's lives. So I was scouring the internet for like just stories of people coming to faith in Jesus. I was hearing the Bible taught on Sunday and then I started watching stuff online, just testimonies, people saying, this is how Jesus met me. This is how I discovered him. Here's how I encountered him. And I remember coming across a particular testimony of a guy who very much like me grew up in the church and then left the church to pursue pleasure, to pursue the same things I pursued. And this guy's story just wrecked me. It wrecked me. Because he had experienced the grace of God. He had experienced what I'd been longing for. He'd experienced what I didn't even know I needed and wanted. So the question I had was, would God do that for me? Would he forgive me after all I'd done? And if you're here today and you just feel a sense of God's disappointment or anger towards you, if you've failed him, if you've blown it big time, if you've run away from him, if you've rejected him, by the way, you could do this in like religious ways, which is probably more common here in Temecula. You can be in the church and still like running away from God through religion. For me, it was more of an irreligious thing. I ran into you know, um, a, a romantic relationship. 
But you can be here and you can run away from God through religion, through performing, through pretending. You could be running from him. I have good news for you, though. For me, one day everything clicked. I heard this man's story. And this man quoted the Gospel of John and said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And I was like, I get that. That's my problem. <laughs> That's the bad news. My life is darkness. Check. And then the man turned and he said, but on the cross, Jesus took your sins upon himself. He took upon us all our sins. And I don't know how else to describe it, but in my mind's eye, it's almost like I could see Jesus on the cross. And it was almost like he was saying, this was for you. Like his hands were open and he was like, this was for you. For you, that rebellious boy. And that was it. I melted. All the sin, shame, and guilt was like replaced by just like liquid love just filling my being. I wept. I'm not a crier, but I wept. I wept like a baby. I felt like the darkness in my life had, had given away and the true light started to shine. So have you blown it big in your relationship and your life with God? Do you want this kind of forgiveness for yourself? You can have it. It's yours for the taking. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, I think we'll have it up there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. All you have to do is ask. He already paid the price. He already died. And like me, you can experience freedom from, your, from sin. You can experience freedom from the consequences of sin. You can start enjoying a life that's not dominated by sin. My life took a complete radical turn at this point. I went back to my girlfriend one last time, and I was like, you want to follow Jesus or what? She was like, for the hundredth time, no. But I did in that moment what I couldn't do before. I turned around and I walked out the door. I made a beeline for the church, for God's people. I'm like, this is where I belong. And he filled me with the power to do it. It was insane. I couldn't do it. But I, now I had a functional center and his name is Jesus Christ. He was able to make me stand. He gave me direction for my life. Immediately, I went to church. I got involved in a young adult ministry, the same church that I drove past, that I was like, maybe Jesus, could I have Jesus, maybe? I went back to that same church. I got involved in a young adult ministry. I started to share my life with other people for the first time. I started caring for other people, other Christians, and I became a disciple. And I felt God's call on my life to ministry. Me, the coward who melted into a puddle over a girl, the one who couldn't stop running away from Jesus and saying no to him. He called me into ministry. Jesus takes straying sheep like me. He brings them back into the sheepfold. Then he says, go find more of my lost sheep. That's what Jesus does. That's who he is. Too much grace, Jesus. My life has radically changed at this point. I take two years off of dating because I'm like, oh my, holy smokes, I can't be with anyone. I'm not ready to be with anyone. I need time for a new foundation to be put in place for a healthy marriage and home in the future. And I'm glad to say that two years later, I met my wife, Heather. Our relationship has not been perfect, but it's entirely different than the endless sin and dysfunction that, category, that, that described the previous relationships I was in. We still sin, surprisingly. <laughs> not surprisingly. But now we actually work through conflict. 
with the end goal of pointing each other back to Jesus. We're seeking to grow to be like him together and encourage one another. And we do hard things together for his name's sake. Stuff I couldn't do before. We do it for his name's sake and for, the, for his precious bride, which is you and me. It's us. This is why we joined Restored Uptown uh, s- uh, six years ago. I think it was. We helped start a community of people that could encounter this radical love and generosity of Jesus because we had experienced it ourselves. So now we're like, let's do this. Let's do whatever we can to help people enjoy Jesus, make disciples, and one day plant churches. Maybe, hopefully. We're part of this church plant. At the very least, we're helping to plant churches. I've had a good life. I have a lot to be thankful for. Most of all, I'm thankful that Jesus saved a rebel like me and commissioned me into his service, just like he did to Paul, just like he can do to you, for you, and in you. So that's, that's a, a very short version of my story. There's a lot more details. If you have any questions, pull me aside later. I'd love to talk more. But I felt like, in addition to sharing my story with you guys, since this is sort of my first public address, I guess, in the church here, I wanted to share just a few things that I feel like God's put on my heart for this church, things I want to see this church grow in and experience and enjoy over my time here with you, our time here with you. So I want to speak uh, quickly to parents first. Uh, and this isn't just for parents right now. This is for anybody who wants to be a parent or who el- somebody, anybody who wants to spiritually parent, uh, which is kind of all of us, really. I want to make disciples is kind of like spiritual parenting, fathering and mothering. My parents provided a stable home family, friends, and fun. They raised us in the church, and they sent us to Christian schooling. I think they loved us pretty well overall, the best that they could. They were involved in my life, and I appreciate and love that about them. Here's what I want you parents to know, and everybody who wants to spiritually parent someone, which is all of us, hopefully. There was something missing in my life. That stuff was great. Yes and amen. I want that stuff for my kids. It is not enough. It is not enough to prepare a child for the problems they're going to face in the world. That was my problem. I had no functional center for my life. Growing up, even though we went to church, even though we were involved, we didn't have grace woven into the fabric of our family. We didn't. We were missing his forgiveness, his personal presence, his commission to grow as and make disciples. We were missing real relationships with other people in the church that could help us grow and that we could help grow. We were instead focused on doing good and being good. Pretending and performing, really, on success. That's what my parents really valued. That was the culture that we had. Which, of course, by the way, it's really hard when you blow it. If your life is built on success, being good and doing good, what do you do with that? You pretend or you perform or you just give up like I did in high school, just into apathy. Some combination of, of both. So instead of focusing on do good, be good on success, which we do need to teach our kids to be good, and to work hard. I'm not saying no to those things, but I'm saying those things don't matter if they don't have Jesus. We need to give people Jesus. We missed him in my home growing up. So parents, future parents, anybody who wants to influence a child, give them Jesus. Kids need to know him. They need to know that their sin is not primarily against you or against others. They need to know what David found out in Psalm 51 after he had slept with Uriah's wife and killed him. He says this, against you, you only have I sinned. He's talking to God. 
Uriah's like, what? God's like, he's, David's like, against God. David was the one who slept with his wife and had him killed. They need to know that their sin is against God. But they also need to know that Jesus is not surprised by their sin. He's not shocked by it. But that as Romans says, Jesus was delivered up for their sins and he was raised for their justification. That they would have right standing with God. That's what our kids need to know both realities. Bad news is really bad. The good news is really good. They need both. They need to know that their life purpose isn't to be successful, to have a nice car, to have a nice house, to get married, to have 2.5 kids, to get them into good schools. Those things aren't bad. I'm not anti those things at all. They need to know, though, more than that, that their purpose in life is to trust and follow Jesus and help other people do the same thing. And whatever sphere of influence God gives them, that's what they need to know most. Otherwise, they're going to continually look for some functional center and they'll look for it in a girl, look for it in a guy, look for it in their jobs, in school, in sports, or whatever. And no matter how good of a home you build for them, it's not going to be enough. Now, if you're a parent here, and maybe it's too late to do that. Maybe your kids are out of the house or whatever. Or maybe your kids are too, you know, whatever. I just want you to know something. God's still at work in your kids' lives. I'm living proof that God can still save your children. So you can pray for them. You can encourage them. It's never too late to start loving your kids in this way, even if they're out of the house. You can pray for them to experience Jesus, love him, know him, serve him, encourage them, whatever you, whatever you can do. So, they need to know that their lives matter deeply to God, that they're here for his purposes, and that's good news for them. They don't have to figure out life on their own. They don't have to figure out what the purpose of life is, what the meaning of life is by themselves. That's a huge weight that crushes people. They need to know that they're already somebody. They don't have to make themselves someone, but they're already somebody because the Father loves them. They have a Father in heaven who loves them, who treasures them, literally sent their son, his son Jesus for them. Our kids need to know that. They need to know that they are somebody because Jesus died for them and was raised for them. To bring them into new life. That they can have new life. And they, know, they need to know that they can endure hardship in this life because Jesus is with them and he's working out his purposes for them in their life. So when we seek to influence children, which we've got a lot, even in this room, and who knows how many in the back, and we're kind of all spiritual children, and we're seeking to encourage Anybody in the faith, remember, give them Jesus. That's what they most need. That's the first thing. Parents, spiritual parents. Second, romantic relationships. If you are in one, if you seek to be in one, I want to encourage you to learn from my story. Romantic relationships, if that's something that you desire, are great and they're a gift. By the way, if you don't desire one, that's totally okay. Jesus was single. Paul was single. They kind of crushed it in life. They did fine. Paul even says in some cases it's better. So you're fine. You don't need a man. You don't need a woman. But if you want one, that's fine too. That's totally okay. I got one. You know? Jesus. Here's the thing I want you to know. Romantic relationships are great and they're a gift, right? Jesus is the real story of your life. Not the romance you're seeking. You can have the guy or gal of your dreams and wind up further from Jesus. You can also be single and draw near to Jesus and have a very meaningful, rich life that Jesus and Paul showed us. Be careful also of trying to pursue romance without the love and input of godly people who can help you see things more clearly. Um, 
I could wish that I could go back. Uh, It all worked out. God worked it out. But man, to have people who are godly speaking into my life and the relationships I had, if I actually listened to them, they would have saved me. I guess God did send me people. I just didn't listen. So I guess listen to people when they speak into your life (laughs) is really the thing. But if you don't have someone to speak into your life, ask someone. Find like a godly man or woman couple, somebody that can walk with you. Talk to them. Ask for their advice. Ask them to pray for you. We're here, by the way. We'd love to support you and pray for you. Tom and I and and others. Always remember that Jesus Christ is yours. He gives you what you're longing for. He values you, cherishes you. He doesn't use you for what he can get from you, but he lays down his life for you. He lives to pray for you. He makes intercession for you. He goes to God on your behalf. He looks out for you. He's your shepherd, your rock, your joy, your king, and your spouse, in the truest sense of the word. So if you're seeking forensic relationships, get Jesus and have other people help you. Get Jesus as your foundation and have other people help you. And lastly, I'm going to wrap this up, the church. What have I learned about the church? The church is the most valuable collection of people in the world. We get to live life in the benefit of other people just as God has done for us in Jesus. We get to do it together. You can't grow in Jesus unless you're a part of a church where you're known, that you belong to. Do, the peop- do people know the real you, like the messy you? If not, I want you to know it's safe to be known. We're all sinners. There's one cross. The cross is not like, there's like a big cross for big sinners, a smaller cross, a medium-sized cross for medium sinners, and then a small one, and then a baby one. It's like, it's one cross, one sacrifice for sin, which means nobody's better than anybody else. So with that said, it's safe to be Known, and we're seeking to build and cultivate a safe community where people can be known and can find healing. And I've seen it happen before in Uptown, and I'm confident that's going to happen here. I've seen people work through the gnarliest stuff because Jesus Christ is the, the center, He's the foundation, and you can work through anything because the cross gives us the power to work through anything. Don't forget that you have a purpose here. You're needed, you're valuable. We need you. God is proclaiming the truths of the gospel to the cosmically, to angelic beings. Don't ask me how this works, but it's in the Bible, and he's doing it through the church. And that's you and me. That's us. You have a cosmic purpose in your life to play, and you can only do it through the church. So, with that said, I think it's time to get the band back up. Have Tom come up. I want to thank you for listening to my story. And I want you guys to know that if you have any questions, you can come and find me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to share more if you have questions. I'd love to pray for you. And then Tom, whatever else you've got.